Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you, providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Keeker. Welcome to Senior Care Live. I'm Steve Keeker, President of Senior Care Consulting. Thanks so much for tuning in today. You are appreciated. Senior Care Live is the nation's premier radio program, providing information, education, and resources for seniors and their caregivers. This is a safe place to get accurate and reliable information you can absolutely count on. Each and every week, we discuss important issues such as how to remain independent in your own home, how to find the right senior care community, how to pay for the high cost of senior care, and legal issues involving elder law and estate planning. We also discuss senior-related health issues and how to care for the caregiver. As always, if you have a question, you can reach us on our toll-free number anytime. That's one 800 331 6445. 1-800-331-6445. You can also visit online at Senior Care Live, L-I-V-E, SeniorCareLive.com. All right. This is going to be an excellent program today. I'm just really looking forward to this. My guests today are Dr. Jennifer Klemp and Dr. Nikki Nolan. And Dr. Klemp is an associate professor of medicine in the Division of Clinical Oncology at the University of Kansas Cancer Center and the founder and CEO of Cancer Survivorship Training. Dr. Nolan is a professor in the Department of Population Health at the University of Kansas School of Medicine. And in recognition of Cancer Survivors Month, we're going to learn more today about cancer survivorship and risk assessment. So this is just going to be really fascinating information. So Dr. Klemp, let's start with you today. First of all, let's define who a survivor is, and then give us an overview, if you will, of what the term cancer survivorship means. Great. Well, thanks, Steve, for having us on today. And thanks to all your listeners. So a cancer survivor is anyone diagnosed with cancer 
from that day through the rest of their lifespan. So it really encompasses those um, who are living with or through their diagnosis. Currently, according to the National Cancer Institute and the um, American Cancer Society, as well as others, there's about 17 million cancer survivors living in the United States, and there's an exponential growth rate that we estimate about 22 million cancer survivors by 2030. Wow. Uh, so that's a pretty big number and a lot of us to, uh, to take care of, um, of loved ones, friends, and so forth. So 17 million cancer survivors currently in the United States. Yes. Wow. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. And um, I am very happy to say my mother is uh, part of that 17 million. Uh, they, they found cancer. It was very, very early. Mm -hmm. And uh, she went to the KU Cancer Center and had that taken care of uh, with uh, Dr. Chapman. She was excellent, by the way. And um, she she has uh, been declared cancer free. So uh, uh, thanks uh, to the KU Cancer Center and Dr. Chapman and the great team there for uh, taking good care of my mom. Uh, that was a, that was a very good experience. Well, good to hear that. And you give a, a good example, like you you know, looking at the number of patients living with or through their disease, we have a lot more patients um, who are surviving cancer. Uh, there's declining death rates, significant declines of over 30% really in the past 20 years. And that's due to earlier detection, to um, uh, more targeted treatments that hopefully don't damage the body, but they're able to be more targeted to the cancer. And then there are a lot of patients who will never be cured of their cancer, but they will live with their cancer. Uh, and that's really called more of a chronic condition of cancer. And so we're really seeing that, that um, death rate decrease, but the number of people living with the disease uh, will continue to increase. Okay. All right. So, so that's uh, that, that's a lot of cancer survivors. <laughs> uh, can, can you provide any insight into uh, into some of those numbers? Some of the um, uh, numbers are due to some behaviors, and Dr. Nolan will will give us a little bit of insight into how we've been tackling things like tobacco use. So we do see some cancers having a decrease. Um, some other cancers have an increase. And so I think the interesting part um, is that it, we really need to think about cancer um, from a holistic approach and that we need to be thinking about understanding our risks, what are our behaviors, um, how are we managing those and getting screening appropriately. So we've had decreases in things like lung cancer, but we've seen, seen increases in HPV-related cancers like head and neck. Um, breast cancer has remained pretty stable, but gone down a little. So you're, you do see kind of ups and downs, but the important part is, is that cancer is still a very common disease, a common disease of aging, but also of all ages, and very important for us to know our family histories, to understand what our risk factors are, so we can play an active role in not only screening, but healthy behaviors to hopefully decrease our risk or prevent cancer, if at all possible. All right. All right. Excellent. And uh, I understand you do a lot of work to identify survivors' greatest risk based on diagnosis, treatment, and other health issues. Why is this risk identification important to cancer survivorship? Okay. I'll take that question. Um, so, 
There are a number of behaviors that are very closely tied to whether or not someone is diagnosed with cancer and then the extent to which um, there's a, a likelihood of reoccurrence based on those behaviors. Um, tobacco is one of the primary, or cigarettes primarily, is one of the primary um, risks related to um, cancer. Um, both initial diagnosis and then um, prognosis um, and response to treatment. And um, then dietary factors are also um, important. So um, eating, you know, proper diet and getting um, the right amount of physical activity. And we have been working um, on those initiative, initiatives for quite some time and have three primary initiatives ongoing um, at KU. Um, we have a very large um, tobacco treatment um, clinic uh, where we help individuals who are interested in um, quitting get through that process. Mm -hmm. um, we also are have an ongoing initiative um, to uh, increase colorectal cancer screening rates um, among populations who um, are at higher risk. And part of that initiative is, is focused on diet and physical activity as um, primary um, um, behaviors to target. And then finally, we have a third initiative that we're just starting. Um, Jen's been doing this work um, on a larger level. We're starting it um, at Swope Health Central, looking at um, cancer genetic screening testing for the underserved. So identifying patients who have um, first degree relatives who um, have been diagnosed with cancer and then um, going through a process that would help those folks um, determine if they are at higher risk for some of these um, genetically based cancers. Okay. And these are some of the community-based activities that you're doing currently? Yes. Okay. Now, is where are these uh, activities taking place? Is it uh, uh, statewide or just in certain cities, certain places? Uh, where, where are these activities taking place? So, the work um, that, that I just described is, pri is primarily within the Kansas City metro region. Okay. Um, although, Jen, I'm going to let her jump in here because her work has a broader base um, beyond the Kansas City metro area. Yeah, we try to really, um, and we call it our catchment area, which is the entire state of Kansas and Western Missouri. So we really try to engage with local organizations, hospitals, providers, um, through patient organizations, you name it. Uh, we try to engage all those key stakeholders um, to um, meet and and engage with patients across the state. Um, some is done virtually via telehealth or things like this, Steve, like you're doing with podcasts. So we do a lot of education. We do virtual programming. Um, we empower local providers to be able to do that programming right there in their backyard. So I think it really is, is taking a, a pretty wide stroke at how we can engage the community and, and thinking outside the box um, because patients kind of want to stay where they live and work and we need to help keep our patients as healthy as they can in their backyard. That's right. And um, as we're sitting here, I, I, had, I didn't even plan on this. Uh, I just learned that a uh, musician friend of mine 
uh, also survived lung cancer. He doesn't even smoke or anything, but they, he, he was having some breathing issues. They, they found that again. He got very lucky. He found it early. They removed part of his lung. He's going to be on a lot of uh, therapy, but at, back up and running here in no time, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and then a, a, an old uh, neighborhood friend of mine, uh, they found uh, some cancer in her liver. Again, she went to KU Med. Uh, they removed part of her liver, and uh, they believe that they got it all. She's going to need some follow-up. So uh, this is just such an important topic, and I, I can't wait to continue the conversation right after the break. But first, let's get to the Senior Care Live question of the week. And this is a true or false statement. About 67% of today's cancer survivors were diagnosed five or more years ago. Is that statement true or false? We'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, call us on our toll-free number anytime. That's 1-800-331-6445. 1-800-331-6445. And don't forget, you can stream this program to any electronic device. Super simple. Go to Senior Care Live. Com. Click on the big microphone right there on the homepage or the Listen Live button. Give it a few seconds to connect and you are in. It'll start streaming to your phone, tablet, computer, whatever you have. It really is that simple. And also, don't forget, you can catch us on the app radio.com. Just download the app and, um, and find Talk 980 AM in there. And then that way you can just stream it from your app. Again, anywhere you are 24-7. All right, back to the Senior Care Live question of the week. About 67% of today's cancer survivors were diagnosed five or more years ago. Is that statement true or false? And the answer is true. The answer is true. And Dr. Klemp, um, isn't it is that five year mark is is a really important mark, isn't it? I mean, after that, are you are you out of the woods or still some concern? I know five years is kind of one of those major milestones that everyone likes to look at and talk about. Sure. So, Steve, that's been a, around for a long time, and I'm not sure which advocacy group sort of coined that, but it was really meant to be that landmark that if you hit that, then yes, you were you were kind of in the clear. But what we actually know is that you know the, the there is risk that all of our patients have that have a diagnosis of cancer, and although some of that risk may get less over time, um, it's always there. So I think that you know we don't like to um, really use that time frame. Or, or any sort of um, sort of, if you get to this point, then you're good to go. Um, you don't have anything to worry about. Uh, that's that's, that's not necessarily true. Okay. It's not. 
Yeah. Okay. And, and thanks for making that uh, that point. Uh, you know, I've I've heard that five year number forever, and like you know, and I don't even remember where I heard it, but I, I've heard it uh, consistently. Uh, so so the message is five years is absolutely something to celebrate and be super excited about uh, and very thankful for. But the bottom line is, you're still always at some risk, no matter what. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, Dr. Clemp, how do you engage survivors in the community? So, there's several ways that, you know, we really engage, and especially in in our community. Um, We have lots of great partners from nonprofits to um, community-based practices, hospitals, you name it. So, really, you build a community. And I think the important part of engaging with patients is you do have to use um, lots of different strategies to, to educate, uh, to get patients to understand the need, the importance, and to really prioritize because patients have a lot of competing priorities. And we know that there's financial toxicity, there's all sorts of barriers that, that could prevent them from seeking healthcare. And in particular, um, one of the reasons we have so many cancer survivors is we are getting patients in screened. They're getting diagnosed earlier. So it's with all these efforts and, and all these sort of grassroots strategies on up to very you know sophisticated clinical trials that we may do that help engage patients. And we've also built a group um, at the University of Kansas Cancer Center, which are patients in, and investigators Together, we call it Pivot, and that really um, has helped us also branch into communities where sometimes, um, you know, there may be some mistrust or or challenges in engaging patients um, into both screening, research, and and treatment. All right. All right. Excellent. And what are some of the greatest areas or maybe issues of concern for cancer survivors? Well, I think the biggest um, concerns have to do with fear of recurrence. I mean, that's the number one uh, concern that pretty much every survivor has. And from there, in really re, kind of restructuring that, so how do patients live with that fear versus the fear overtaking them? Uh, and then the second part is helping them risk stratify. And many of our patients actually have a lot of comorbid or other health conditions, like diabetes or heart disease. So it's us really sitting down with them in a structured discussion and talking to them about what are their biggest risks because of their cancer, their cancer treatment, what did that potentially accelerate as they age, and then what were the other underlying health issues that they they have or have developed. And so how does all that fit together so that we can best manage the patient? So it's a little bit of an individual discussion and not really a one size fits all, but it does take putting all those pieces together to best care for the cancer survivor. All right. And, you know, one thing we uh, we talk about when it comes to uh, cancer is tobacco cessation. So Dr. Nolan, I understand that much of the work uh, that you focus on is tobacco cessation. Is it beneficial for someone who uses tobacco to quit if he or she has already had cancer? Yeah, so that's a very important question with a very clear answer. Um, the answer to that question is yes, it is beneficial for someone who uses tobacco to quit if he or she is a survivor or is in the um, has cancer and is in the process of treatment. So we know that cigarette smoking is the largest single contributor to cancer risk about 20 to 30% of um, cancer patients and survivors are cigarette smokers. Um, Cancer patients and survivors who use tobacco are at greater risk of adverse health outcomes. They have higher rates of increased all-cause and cancer-specific disease and death. They have a greater risk for developing second primary cancers. They have poor response to treatment. 
and they're at increased risk of treatment-related toxicity, so not doing as well on treatment or responding um, poor or to treatment. Um, but yet smoking is rarely consi considered within the continuum of cancer treatment. So it's something that's very important to target um, as a way to improve um, response to treatment and then also long-term survivorship. All right. And uh, I, I'm not mad at anyone who smokes, but, you know, I, when I was in the eighth grade, I took a puff and I'm like, what in the heck is that? Who would ever do that? <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I, I, I do not smoke. I, I just I don't get it. So uh, uh, if uh, I'm I'm constantly talking about, you know, quitting and and, you know, whatever it takes. So tobacco cessation, I think, is just a huge and important uh, issue and subject. Uh, Dr. Klemp, if someone wants to learn more about cancer survivorship in general, mm -hmm. uh, what are some good resources to direct them to? You bet. So one of the main resources I send people to is the National Cancer Institute actually has an office of cancer survivorship. So if you um, uh, search for NCI cancer survivorship, you'll learn all about um, kind of the, the definitions and parameters around survivorship. Um, at our website, it's KUCancerCenter.org. We have some great resources on cancer survivorship. And so I think it's important to start from those reliable resources. Then you can kind of branch out uh, because there is a lot of stuff out there that's probably not as reliable. So I do like to, to send to trusted sites first and, and really get people the information that they need at the time that they need it. All right. And Dr. Nolan, what about uh, tobacco cessation resources? Right. So the best place to start is always, I think, with the healthcare provider. So the healthcare provider can provide access to any of the seven FDA approved um, quit smoking medications. Um, and that is paramount to um, effectively um, treating tobacco addiction. The other um, really good resource is that all states have a tobacco quit line. These quit lines are free and they provide free medication and counseling um, to anyone who calls. All right. All right. And as we uh, approach the end of today's segment, I just want to let the listeners know you can reach out to the Masonic Cancer Alliance for a tremendous amount of information. They're the outreach network of the University of Kansas Cancer Center at MasonicCancerAlliance.org. So Dr. Klemp and Dr. Nolan, thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, call us on our toll-free number anytime. That's 1-800-331-6445. 1-800-331-6445. 
Don't forget if you ever miss an episode of Senior Care Live, maybe you want to share the program with someone else or maybe you just want to go back and hear it again, no worries at all. Just go to SeniorCareLive.com, click on the podcast tab, and that's where you'll find all of the previously aired episodes. They're in chronological order. Again, they're just, just you can read through just a, a real quick description of the subject of the day or the topics of the day. Click the play button and again, give it a few seconds to uh, connect and you can listen to those podcasts anytime you want, anywhere you want, 24 hours a day. All right, so we're going to move on and shift gears here to one of the core categories of how to pay for the high cost of senior care. And uh, really, really, really important subject matter. And very recently, I talked about long-term care insurance. I also talked about Medicare. So I want to uh, talk very specifically today about something I'm asked about. Every, just about every time I speak with a client or someone inquiring about care and you know how to pay for that, they always ask about Medicaid or maybe another question, well, what happens if we run out of money or if my mom or my dad, my spouse, uh, you know, my aunt, uncle, brother, <clears throat> et cetera, what happens if we run out of money? What happens then? And that's a very, very important question. So, want to talk about Medicaid, and Medicaid pays for all sorts of things. So, in the context of today's discussion, I'm going to talk about Medicaid paying for your stay in long-term care, also known as a nursing home. And then if I have a little bit of time, I may discuss uh, what it pays for on the assisted living level of care. Uh, here's a spoiler alert. It doesn't pay much or enough, <laughs> but let's start off with what is Medicaid? So Medicaid is financial assistance uh, for you know, your healthcare needs, your prescription costs, and a lot of other, other medical and healthcare related uh, needs and services and, and, and drugs and products, et cetera. It's a federal program and so you have a federal pool of money, but here's, here's the catch, and this makes it a little more difficult to get your arms around. It's administered at the state level. So every state could have, and most states do have, slightly different rules and variables and regulations. And uh, that it, by and large, I, I would say it, it's pretty similar, but I mean, there could be some big differences uh, just with one exception or another. And I'll give an example of that here in just a little bit. And, and again, don't confuse Medicaid with Medicare. Medicare, just think of your Medicare as your health insurance. And that'll pay for your hospitalization, your trip to the doctor's uh, office, your exams, your labs, your x-rays, uh, those sort of things. Medicaid, again, for the purpose of this conversation, will pay for your stay in long-term care, also known as a nursing home, uh, on an ongoing basis. So if you have to move from your home to a long-term care community, and that is your new home where you receive care every day, and you may live there for or, you know, many months or years, Medicaid will help pay for that should you outlive your assets. And I like to say, I like to describe Medicaid if you can kind of envision a safety net that says if you should outlive your assets and you need care at a nursing home, Medicaid has you covered. They will help pay 
for that cost. Uh, but as you might imagine, there are some catches that you have to meet certain criteria, income and asset criteria. So let's start to break this down. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, I make too much money to, to have Medicaid pay for, pay for my nursing home care. Well, the only time that is true is if your monthly income is greater than the cost of the nursing home. So if the nursing home costs $7,500 per month and your income is less than that, then yes, you, you could qualify for Medicaid. I'll get into an income example here in just a minute. Let's, let's just make sure that we focus on assets initially. So this is pretty much by and large, an asset test. And it's just very, very clear. It's very black and white. And you have to, you have to divide your assets into two categories. So number one, let's talk about exempt assets. So, well, you know, Steve, we're gonna have to sign our house over to the nursing home to get Medicaid. Uh, no, you won't. I, I, I've done myth versus fact in, in consumer alert segments on that one. You do not have to sign over your house to anyone <laughs> to qualify for Medicaid. That is absolutely not true. And if anyone tells you that, it, they've just uh, kind of shown that they really don't understand how this works. Your house is considered an exempt asset for now. Okay, so your house is off the table. Uh, your vehicle. Uh, well, I'm going to have to sell my car because, you know, you can't own it. No, that's not true. You can keep your house. You can keep your car. Uh, another exempt asset that I think is uh, under-discussed and under-reported, uh, and I always talk about this, is if you own a prepaid funeral plan, that is considered an exempt asset. And um, that's something that I always coach and counsel my clients on is take some of your cash, which is a countable asset, turn it into, a, uh, buy a prepaid funeral plan. You've turned that into an exempt asset and now that one's off the table. And guess what? You have your final expenses taken care of. All right. So your house is an exempt asset. Your car is an exempt asset. A prepaid funeral plan is an exempt asset. A small amount of life insurance, so we're talking about a cash value uh, life insurance plan. Uh, it, you can have a small amount of cash value uh, in that plan. That is considered exempt up to a certain, up to a certain level, okay? Uh, if you have a, a large term life insurance, that, that's off the table because there, there's no cash value on that, all right? And then uh, last but not least, all of the stuff in your house, so all of your household goods, uh, all of those things are exempt. Your house, your car, or prepaid funeral plan, a small amount of life insurance, and all of the stuff in your house, those things are exempt. So what is considered a countable asset uh, so almost everything else. So just think liquid assets, checking, savings, money market, mutual funds, CDs, uh, those sort of things uh, are, are countable assets. Just think your liquid assets. And why is that important to know what a countable asset is? Okay, so here is the asset test. You take your countable liquid assets at X dollars, let's say, let's say you have $50,000, just to pull a number out of the air here. Uh, then you would have to 
quote unquote, spend down your assets down to the trigger point of qualifying for Medicaid. And that number is $4,000 in the state of Missouri, $2,000 in the state of Kansas. And again, in any other state in our nation, uh, the numbers are, are very, very, very similar, but it could be different in each state. I'm just talking about uh, the two states where we broadcast here uh, from our flagship station, Talk 980 AM, KMBZ, here in the uh, Kansas City Marketplace. So you take your $50,000 of countable liquid assets and then you spend them down. Once you are down to $4,000 in Missouri, $2,000 in Kansas, you qualify for Medicaid and Medicaid will help you pay for your monthly cost or your monthly stay in that nursing home. It is very straightforward. It's very black and white. Uh, it's just, just very cut and dry. <clears throat> now, what can you spend that money on? Well, obviously you can pay your nursing home costs. Right. So, you know, if you have income of, say, a couple of thousand a month, say the nursing home costs $7,500 a month, you're going to be taking $5,500 out of your countable assets to make up that difference. And then that is going to deplete your assets. Again, uh, when you're on your way down, that's referred to as the spend down. And again, once you hit 4000 in Missouri, 2000 in Kansas, boom, you are qualified. So you'll help pay for your, obviously, your nursing home costs, pay for help pay for your own care, uh, but you can also pay off uh, debts. So let's say if you own, have some, some credit card uh, debt or something like that, or a personal loan, you can use uh, that money and that spend down to pay off debts. Uh, you can make home repairs. Uh, again, I always coach my clients to do this. Take $10,000 of cash that you have to spend and invest that into a prepaid funeral plan. Now you've taken a countable asset of cash and you've converted it to an exempt asset of a prepaid funeral plan. And that is just smart business, that's smart finances. And let's say if you don't do that and then you spend down and you're, you're almost out of money and then later on down the road, then you pass away. Well, the question is, who's going to pay the $10,000 for your final expenses. That's going to fall now onto your family or onto other people. Why not get that taken care of right up front? It's just smart, smart business. Uh, and then after the break, I'm going to continue to discuss Medicaid and how Medicaid will help you pay for your stay in long-term care. I'm also going to talk about a business strategy, a legal strategy called the division of assets. You don't want to miss that. Don't go away. I'll be right back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, be sure to reach us on our toll-free number anytime. It's 1-800-331-6445. 1-800-331-6445. 
6445. All right, back to the core category, how to pay for the high cost of senior care. We're talking about Medicaid today, and I'm talking about the, uh, uh, the qualifications for, for Medicaid. You, you have two categories of assets, your exempt assets and your countable assets. And then you have to spend down the accountable, countable assets. Think, think liquid assets is countable assets. Spend those down to 4,000 in Missouri, 2,000 in Kansas, and then you qualify. We also talked about some of the things that you can use on uh, pay for with that uh, quote unquote spend down as you're spending down those assets to qualify uh, for, uh, for Medicaid. And that was for a single person, but what happens if you are a married couple? That is a good question. That's an important question. I'll tell you what, many, many years ago, guess what a lot of people felt like they needed to do? They would get a divorce. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were talking about Medicaid. Why are you talking about divorce now? Well, you have a couple and you have one spouse. Let's say that we have a uh, uh, the wife, we have Sally, let's say, living living at home. She's considered the community spouse. She's doing pretty well, still living independently. And then her husband, John, uh, needs nursing home care. And the nursing home is very expensive. So in order to try to save Sally some assets to continue to live independently and pay her bills and her taxes and utilities and home upkeep and all those sort of th things, People actually got a divorce so that they would have to split their assets down the middle to protect at least half of the assets for the community spouse, the spouse who is still living independently. Isn't that terrible? That is absolutely awful. And then Congress passed a law that said, this is the United States of America. That is crazy uh, to do that. Uh, no community spouse should have to become impoverished due to the high cost of care for the spouse needing the nursing home or the long-term care. So we are going to allow that division of assets to be done on paper so that you don't have to get a divorce. That's just terrible. And guess what? A lot of people would say, hey, come what may, I'm, we're not getting a divorce. You know, my grandparents lived uh, for a very long time, very fortunate, uh, and we were able to celebrate their 70th wedding anniversary. If they would have needed to do this, they would not have gotten a divorce. They just would have said, hey, whatever happens, happens. We're in this together in sickness and in health um, and, and all of those sort of things. So uh, a lot of people wouldn't want to do that. And, and the good news is you don't have to do that. So you can go, and I would not do this on your own, by the way, <laughs> right? And, and I would not depend on someone else to do this for free. I just wouldn't. This is too complicated. It's too serious. And if you make one mistake, it, it could cost you a mountain of money. Trust me, I've heard all of the stories. You want to contact an elder law attorney that knows what they are doing and does this every day, 100% of their practice focused on elder law. And, um, and you want some expert guidance. And this is the one, one of the things that you don't want to wing it and you don't want to figure it out on your own. It will be well worth uh, the, the legal fees to get this done by an elder law attorney. So you have a couple, 
You can do a division of assets. And let's just say I'll make up a number. They have $200,000 and the number could be whatever number you have. Uh, but let's say they have $200,000. $100,000 is on his side. $100,000 is on her side of the ledger, so to speak. She hangs on to that hundred, and then he would spend down his hundred thousand. Okay, so that's the spend down by. And, and that what you've done is you protected half of the assets with that division of assets. The other half spent down to four thousand in Missouri, two thousand in Kansas. And again, what can John use that money for? Well, you can on your spend down. He can again pay for his nursing home care. You can pay off debts. Now this is where it's a little bit different. You can have a joint debt. Uh, you could still have a mortgage. You can use part of his his spend down, part of those assets to pay off the mortgage. Or maybe there's a, a, you know, a small uh, a loan or maybe 5,000 in credit cards or something like that in both of your names. You can use his side of the ledger to pay those things off. So that's, that's really helpful. You can also uh, fix up the home. And so you know, Sally's going to be living in the home. It might need, you know, a $10,000, you know, roof, uh, it may need a, a $6,000 new uh, HVAC unit, um, whatever is needed, part of his spend down could be used to improve the home, home improvements. Again, by a prepaid funeral plan, it's, that's just smart business, that's good finance. Uh, and then the other thing is you could also buy a new car or upgrade your existing car. So if Sally has an older vehicle and Sally says, hey, I want to visit my husband every day uh, and, and I need a more dependable uh, car, our car is getting a lot of miles on it, you can upgrade and you can use his side of the ledger, so to speak, to upgrade your vehicle. Uh, but whatever, whatever you're spending that on, again, once you get down to that 4000 or 2000 then he's in and Medicaid will start helping him uh, pay for that. Now, with that being said, a good elder law attorney might also be able to help you with an asset protection strategy that could take all or most of that $100,000 and turn that into an income stream for Sally to help her, again, pay her bills. Because uh, when John goes to the nursing home, guess what else goes to the nursing home with him? His income. So all of a sudden, the household income is going to take a huge hit. And again, it's not fair to Sally because she's still living independently. She still has things to, to pay for, bills to pay, home upkeep, automotive repair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is a great strategy by working with an elder law attorney to turn parts or most or some of John's spend down amount into an income stream for Sally so that she can continue to live independently. Well, Steve, now we get down to 4,000 or 2,000 and then my dad has $2,000 of income coming in every month. Does that get him kicked off of Medicaid? Nope, absolutely not. So a, very quickly, your income is a different calculation. So every month you have your income coming in, right off the top, you would pay your Medicare premium. So say that could be 50 or $60 all the way up to maybe $300 a month, right off the top, you take care of your health insurance, which is your Medicare premium. And then you get to keep uh, you know, either $50 a month in Missouri, $62 a month in the state of Kansas, don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> all right, that, that's not much. It's just a little bit of petty cash, essentially. And then whatever's left over goes to the nursing home as a copay. 
You call it a patient liability. I like to call it a copay. That's each individual's input or 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 ability to partially pay for their for their stay at the nursing home. Medicaid pays the nursing home. A difference. The nursing home also accepts a lower than retail rate, and they they provide a discount. So the individual pays what they can after keeping up their insurance and keeping a couple of bucks. Medicaid pays for the majority of it. The nursing home provides a discount and that's how your income works every single month. So uh, hopefully that makes sense. Reach out to an elder law firm to make sure that you do all of this properly. That will be the best money you have ever spent. I promise you. All right, I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and I wish you grace and peace. May God bless you and your family on this day and always. I'll see you next week, right here on Senior Care Live. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 